I'm Julia Sherbakov, and this is Impact Journey. Conversations with hidden heroes making big societal change. There are so many elements of sports and the arts that make it easier to address certain subjects that are otherwise very difficult to address to be able to express yourself without using words, which is so important sometimes for such a long time before you can actually verbalize what's wrong. I wanted it to engage people and grab them by the heart by showing them the passion and the beauty of the sport juxtaposed with some of the incredible unfairness of some of the regulations and some of the attitudes. Today, I am happy to welcome Kelly Nascimento de Luca about her impact. As the oldest daughter of soccer legend Pele, Kelly is both an artist and an activist. She is the founder of the Nascimento Foundation, the family foundation with the mission to harness the power of sports and the arts. And right now she's directing Warriors of a Beautiful Game, a documentary film supporting women in football. Now about her journey, we talk about the fascinating life that's brought Kelly here at this intersection of sports and the arts in the service of humanity. And in this trying time of coronavirus worldwide, I'm so curious how now people are looking to process their emotions. And historically, sports and the arts have been how we've done that. Now, we can't play sports right now, but we do see people turning to all forms of art, to movies, to music. And talking to Kelly is a great reminder of what's possible when we create art as a way to have the difficult conversations and to raise attention to injustices that we see in our world. So as always, rate, review, send any thoughts or suggestions to impactjourneypodcast at gmail.com and enjoy this conversation with Kelly Nascimento DeLuca. So I'd love to start a bit about your background. The thing that I found really fascinating is you've got this sports and arts coming together to create positive change. The sports make sense, right? You've got the family history. The arts, I'd love to hear more about how you even got into the arts, what inspired you behind it. But then like sports and arts could be combined in so many ways. I'm curious what made you combine them first of all, and then take them in this direction. So I come from the arts. You know, I went to art school. I was a photographer and and, uh, art director. And the sports were just my life because of my family and also being Brazilian. And so I never really did much in sports until this film. This is my first sort of foray into uh, sports. And I think the emphasis on sports and the arts, especially as it pertains to the foundation also, is because the arts are, are my special sauce. I feel like no matter how deep into the sports part I get, what I bring to it is the element of storytelling and the visual element. I also feel like, as a, as a mission statement for a foundation, harnessing the power of sports and the arts to tackle the world's biggest problems really gives me an umbrella to do whatever I want, <laughs> you know, because there's nothing sports and the arts don't touch. Exactly. And so how did you even decide, to? because that last part of it, what made you want to be that ambitious about it? Because there are people who are in sports, who are in arts, who are maybe in both, who aren't trying to solve big problems. So that's where I think sports and the arts have an incredible power. It's more about empowering the people on the ground and giving them tools to change their own lives and then collaterally change their own worlds and then the greater world. There are so many elements of sports and the arts that one, and really importantly, make it easier to address certain subjects that are otherwise very difficult to address 
going straight to the, the subject and at first creating a family, creating trust, you know, and a team. And with the arts is to be able to express yourself without using words, which is really so important sometimes for such a long time before you can actually verbalize what's wrong and gives you an outlet. When you were starting to go to art school and also growing up in your family and seeing sports in Brazil and, and here, what examples did you see of the power that sports and or the arts could have? In the arts, I've always been interested since I was young in art therapy. So I also knew the power of art when you sort of own it. And with sports, it was really watching the effect my father had on people. I, I would always wonder when I would be near him at the fact that he could walk into any room and just make people happy. Just walk into a room and people would cry, people would come up to him. And it was obvious to me as I got a little older that it had nothing to do with soccer. It had to do with them. It had to do with what he was doing when their most formative and important parts of their life had happened. It was the goal he scored right near when they fell in love. It was happening politically in their country in the 60s and 70s. It was their first kid. Because football is woven into the fabric of society in a lot of Latin America and Europe, its evolution is consistent with everybody else's, you know, emotional and, and life evolution. And you could tell it had it was much deeper than just that game. You're right. There's almost this continuous thread throughout people's lives. There's something emotional about it. And I think that's where sports and the arts have such a strong link, right? Because they both work on such an emotional and not so much necessarily a rational level in people's psyches. It's also so comforting, right? I mean, it's, it's so comforting in a country that is in such upheaval or most places right now because of this virus or whatever it may be, that there's still a game at two o'clock that it all may be, you know, falling apart. Yeah. Then how do then you move from that to focusing on women in football, right? Because that's such a bigger issue of gender equality, specifically in sports as a tool for general gender equality. How did that even get on your radar? Well, I wasn't doing much with sports until I met this young girl, Laiz, my brother-in-law, who's a really amazing youth coach in New York. He's Brazilian. He coaches young boys. And he always takes them to Brazil in the summer. He'll have um, tours of two or three main clubs. And then he always adds like a favela club because they have their own infrastructure, their own tournaments and everything. And this year, this 2012, I believe it was, he met this young girl playing amongst the boys. And when he came home, he texted me and he's like, you have to, this girl's amazing. She's incredible. And my brother-in-law is a football fanatic. And he doesn't know women's football, men's football. He just knows football. And she was just like, to him, amazing. But then he noticed that there will be no, no future for her there. So he became determined to try to find a chance for her to come to school here because she was so good. And I became friends with her on WhatsApp. I went down there for something and I went to meet her. And she finally came to a junior college in New York. And I'm fast forwarding the story. But the interesting part of it was that well, what got me was that her trajectory. So, for example, every once in a while, she would text me and say she was all excited because they said that next month there was a national team coach coming to look at her team. Now, she comes from Salvador, Bahia, and it's like a hotbed of talent, especially for women players. It's where a lot of our great players came from. And in the two years that we chatted before she actually came to New York, no one ever went. Are you serious? And, yeah, yeah. And what I noticed was she went to the junior college. She made all the local papers in Brooklyn. She was noticed by a friend of the coach from the University of Florida, who notoriously has an amazing women's team. She's been there for 25 years. She coached Abby Wambach. She told this guy, I don't take junior college students and we don't have any uh, foreign students. He sent her a video. They gave her a full scholarship for two years. 
And she also took a video that her friends made and she sent it to a friend who had been in the U20 National Cup a few years before and asked her if she can have her dad send it to the coach. The current coach called her and essentially she ended up being the captain of the U20 Women's National Cup for Brazil in Papua New Guinea. Wow. And what her trajectory showed me is that it can absolutely not be replicated and that there is no system to get girls into teams in Brazil or to give girls a, a chance to be professional players. It was a complete collection of, of acts of God and miracles and perseverance. Right, you can't really do that for every it. single girl, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is messed up. So I started researching women's football. I was really shocked about statements that were being made and attitudes and even regulations that still existed today. There's very little, by the way, about women's football. But yeah, I would read these quotes and I'd be like, oh my God, that's archaic. And it was like 2015, you know what I mean? And it was said by like the man in the Brazilian Football Federation that's in charge of elevating the women's game. Wow. And it was things like, well, now it's going to get better because they're going to wear tighter shirts and we're going to have to I ask them to wear more makeup. In 2011, I believe it was Sao Paulo Federation. They had a tournament that's a very popular tournament and they didn't bring any girls into the team that had short hair. Yo, my God. It was a hair length regulation. It was just like, this is the only way they can think of to fix this problem. (laughs) So, and and that was pretty much the same everywhere in the world. And I thought this is amazing because it's a mirror to the state of women, you know, in every country. Oh, that's fascinating. And so then how did you decide what your role in this was going to be. How did you decide to make a film about it? I'm a storyteller. So I went to the guy I work with and I'm like, holy crap, like we have to tell the story. And what do you hope to do with film? Like what's the core insight and message of it? And then what are you hoping that message can eventually do? Because obviously it's one film, but it's part of a bigger story. Yes, yes. I want to tell the story, but then I also want to get some of the most influential people in the world that made sense in sports. Um, But it was like basically a huge show of support, almost like a love letter to women's soccer. But at the same time inform people because I think public opinion really really matters public opinion definitely pushes things when they need to be pushed and I and I knew that most people if I didn't know any of this most people didn't but I didn't want it to be an angry sort of uh, I wanted it to engage people and grab them by the heart by showing them like the passion and the beauty of the sport juxtaposed with some of the incredible unfairness and unnecessary unfairness of some of the regulations and some of the attitudes you know we want all girls and boys you know to see it the dream is to have it stream somewhere, but then, then what? It would be really nice if we could have this film sort of be of service. So, so the idea is to use the film almost like a PSA to drive attention and hopefully some funding to some organizations that use soccer to help girls all around the world. So we, we partnered up with five organizations, UN Women. They have an amazing program that they started with the IOC before the Olympics in Brazil. It's called One Win Leads to Another. Worked really well in Rio and now it can just move to all the others around the world, really. Equality League, Coaches Across Continents, Lead Africa, and Global Goals World Cup. So those are our five NGOs that hopefully we will be able to elevate their message and to send them some support with the film. So that actually makes sense. I love what you were saying about the way the film was made. It's not this like sad tale. It's not this like angry, oh my God, look at everything that's wrong. But actually to me, it now makes sense of why it's called Warriors of a Beautiful Game. Um, yeah. Because the focus is on, it's on the warriors, but it's also on the beautiful game and the showing yeah. of the promise and the talent and the possibilities that are there. And so part of it is actually how you crafted that message. And I think that's beautiful. So I just wanted to recognize oh, that. And then yeah. the other part makes really makes a lot of sense and actually goes back to what you were saying earlier about what arts can do. It's this 
bringing images and emotions and things that maybe we don't know how to put into words yet. And like you said, a lot of these organizations that you're working with who are working on equality in different places around the world where it's really needed, they might be the feet on the ground, but this is actually that emotional bridge for them to connect with people. I also, I think the overarching message that I think is important for public opinion as well and, and, and for the young women everywhere. It's like the young women in the film, if, you know, if we show what they've been through and their love for the game, their passion, their perseverance and their struggle, I think the overarching message is that there's no way we're not going to make this work. It's just, you know, you can either get on board or get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know what I mean? <laughs> because, you know, it's going to happen. I love that. That is awesome. And you're right, because essentially what we're talking about is there's a lot of like systemic change that needs to happen, both like structurally in terms of how some of these systems and the financing behind the systems, the way people are recruited and incentivized and all of that, right? Like that needs to change. And then culturally, just the understanding of who is and is not capable of doing certain things. And to change both of those, obviously it's not going to happen overnight, but I feel like I can see how what you're working on is trying to be one of those things that accelerates. Yeah, and I did, I went out with a question. So I did a lot of the interviewing, which was super stressful in the beginning because I'm not a journalist, but I had a few things that I wanted to hear from everybody. One of the main things that I asked, if just because I was super curious and I thought people would be too, is, there's so many changes that need to be made, right? And if you could pare it down to one change because it's too big or too much money or nobody wants to watch or whatever. So give me one thing that you think is not too difficult to do and would make a huge difference in your club or in society in general or from the fans or whatever, whoever it was I was talking to. And the interesting thing that I found is that the answers were really, really, really different. There isn't one thing. It has to be bottomed up and top down. It has to be like FIFA, and large organizations lending respect by respecting the game. It has to be both. The push has to be yeah. both ways. One of the things that I think is really, would really, really, really be helpful and really change the game would be if FIFA required some sort of reporting on the money they give to federations. Because very, 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 very often the, the money that is allocated for women does not go to women. Really? And has no, there's no accountability. Uh, accountability. That's what I was looking for. There's no accountability. And there were so many reports of abuse of just the money not going to at all, going to anything recreational, the men's side, the children's side. So that would be huge. It would be, tell the world and the world of football that FIFA thought this was important enough to keep an eye on. And that's huge. Yeah, you're right. There's something about both transparency and accountability that I feel like in the world of sports is almost lagging because I work mostly with businesses in sustainability. And now there's all these new rules about businesses have to disclose their CO2 emissions and their percent of women on their board. And it's had this huge effect. And now one of the things that's come out is now all these studies that show that companies who have, for example, more women on their boards actually do better financially. Now, they wouldn't have known that if we didn't have that data. For example, can you imagine like knowing that in sports? Like if you knew exactly where the money was being allocated and then the success of those programs respectively, like that's what we need. Yeah, absolutely. The problem with that lack of transparency is that it leads to just the inability to explain that asking for equity and equitable treatment and equitable pay is not the same thing as wanting Neymar's salary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is Neymar's salary anyway? Probably something laughable. Yeah, exactly. And that's where you need to, like you were saying, work from all fronts. 
something in the business world, for example, that's changed in just in the last couple of years is for a while it was very bottom up. It was more their customers who were like, wait a second, where are my clothes being made? And are people being really only paid like $1 a day to make my jeans? That doesn't seem right. And so people started to kind of make this like bottom up swell. But then in recent years, there's this top down element that's really come up more from the investor side because at the end of the day these organizations they still have to answer to somebody if it's a public company it's you know their shareholders if it's a private company it's still their investors and then once you've got the bottom-up people asking you like the people buying your product and the people who are investing you you can't really go on with business as usual anymore yeah it's true that's a good uh, analogy because i think that it will there's going to be a push for the next growth market which i you know you hear that about women's football all the time i do think a, a great public pressure it, it, it is a motivator and i the people who try to keep them accountable is a motivator because ultimately they do depend on people to buy tickets. Exactly. To and I wonder, do you see any examples, any glimpses of what this looks like when it's better? What I do see, the first step to getting better is individuals, especially like when, with the NWSL, because they are run so different than uh, European clubs. Individuals almost creating sort of their own nucleus, right, with these teams and putting in a crazy amount of money and making a crazy amount of money and being hugely successful and then being sort of a, like, oh, look, because it's such an industry and it's such an incredible machine that it'll have to be almost like entrepreneurs. That's where I see movement. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love actually your analogy to entrepreneurship. That's what we have in the business world too, right? Is a whole bunch of entrepreneurs start their businesses. Now, a lot of them won't succeed, but that's how you learn what works, what doesn't work. And what we see now, especially in the business world, is a lot of the very purpose-driven, mission-oriented, sustainability-first businesses are taking off. And all these big companies are like, uh-oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so exactly. I love that what you're saying in the sports world, we almost need that too. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Aside from explaining to people in terms of equal pay and, and really what they're asking for is equitability and fields and dressing rooms, equipment, travel, you know, all of these entities, the major entities that we're talking about, U.S. soccer, FIFA, are non-for-profit organizations that are not supposed to be making decisions based on profit. And I love this argument that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, puts a lot more money in men's gymnastics and men's ice skating because the women's is so much more popular. Interesting. And their job is to grow those sports in the world. And to me, that's like a perfect example of what, you know, everyone's supposed to be doing who has an NGO whose mission statement is to grow a sport. Yeah. You know, grow the sport. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I just want to recognize you and, and, you know, for telling this story, for doing this work, for doing it in a way you have this like fascinating combination of realistic optimism where you see the real challenge, but then you also have this, we're going to tell the story and we're going to see the, the positive side of it that like can potentially come out and somehow unite those two. So I just want to appreciate you for that also. Oh, thank you. Is there anything we thank haven't you. talked about? Well, you know, people always say like, what do you want with this film? What I believe in the in positive sense is that it's not the huge acts that make change. So if this film makes young women everywhere feel heard, they will get that extra energy to make the to start to make the change. I want as many young people to see it. Men, you know, young boys is equally important to see this and understand what their sisters' counterparts are going through and, and do what they can to support. Yeah. And then it'll give them a little energy to keep pushing because ultimately they're gonna make the change. Yeah. Awesome. 
A big thanks to Kelly. You can follow her film at warriorwomenoffootball.com, her foundation at thenascimentoproject.org, and her on Twitter at Casa Kelly. This is Impact Journey. See you next time.